everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. My name's Jesse Jones, and on the show today, we have Whiskey Gypsy is on the show, baby. That's right. We've got Ari Sussman from Whiskey Gypsy. He's on the show walking us through the new expression from Eric Church and company. And he walks us through what brought him to this whiskey, how he got involved with Eric Church, how the whiskey got put together. And then what do we do? What do we do on this show when we're talking about good whiskey? We drink it. And that's exactly what Ari and I do. We crack ourselves a bottle of Whiskey Gypsy. We drink quite a bit of it and we go through everything from how he got started in whiskey to how this collaboration came to be it is a fun conversation ari is one of those guys that you can just sit there and talk about damn near everything with we cover the gambit of whiskey production in this episode we talk about where it comes from we talk about how it's made we talk about what's next i could have probably talked to ari for about three days straight but neither of us had the time or the whiskey to to make that happen and all that means is that we got to do it again we just have to get ourselves another bottle of whiskey gypsy and find some more time and we'll keep this conversation rolling because that's how this conversation went we just went from one thing to the next and it was absolutely fantastic so thank you Ari so much for coming on to the program it was, a pr- it was a pleasure picking your whiskey brain and just going wherever the conversation took us so I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one not going to do too much time up top today we're going to get this thing started pretty quick i do ask that you go hit like and subscribe on all the things leave us a five-star review on apple podcast and then just come on back because we're on episode 93 on our march to 100 and i'm so happy that ari and whiskey gypsy is on that march so without further ado it's whiskey gypsy it's ari sussman it's the bourbon showdown podcast my name's jesse jones let's start of the show! All right. Thank you so much for joining me, sir. We have Ari Sussman, whiskey maker extraordinaire, on the program today. How are you, buddy? I'm great. It's, uh, it's fantastic to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, very excited to have you on. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while now. You have this delicious gypsy whiskey uh, uh, coming out. It's already out? Is it coming out? How far away are we from it? It's, it's, I'll tell you what it is. It's available in fine retailers in the state of Tennessee. Okay. And it's available online, whiskeygypsy.com in in select markets. So yeah, it, it is out there. It's available if folks are interested in getting their hands on it it's out there that is what i like to hear i of course have uh your marketing is fantastic by the way i got my little sample sample from one of the coolest delivery methods i've ever gotten uh you guys put it in a book and you didn't just put it in a book you literally put it in a book like, I mean, what a cool freaking idea in terms of how to uh, spread the good word by literally putting it in a word <laughs> delivery mechanism. Uh, clearly inspired by the Shawshank Redemption. First thing uh, I thought. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> but also, and this comes back to the brand vision and what we're trying to accomplish, That that's a real book. 
Yeah. This is freaking awesome, man. It, I mean, it feels like a real book because it is a real book. It smells like a real book. It right? does. It's a it's an actual book. And there's some interesting content and there's a place where you can write tasting notes and it's not uh, a random choice to put it into a book. Uh, Eric, Raj, the co-founders, myself, some of the ways we bond is we love books. We talk about books all the time. We're surround, we surround ourselves with books. We feel at home in books. Um, and it was very important for us early on to sort of incorporate this thing that we bonded around into, uh, into how we share the product with, with folks. Oh, I love that. And uh, I, I'm right there with you. I, I went down a rabbit hole with Lance Winters not too long ago, just about our love for the uh, adventures of Cavalier and Clay, the yeah. uh, Michael Shaban novel. So uh, that's fantastic that you guys are rooted in that uh, that love of books. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell me a little bit uh, about you. We are here to talk about Ari Sussman. How did you get into uh, uh, this crazy game of, of whiskey. How did you get started? Oh, well, like we were saying earlier, I was in the fourth grade and I decided I just want to make whiskey with, uh, with rock stars. And that's going to be my, <laughs> my life plan. No, I, um, it, 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 what it, a series of incredibly lucky breaks. Um, like a lot of folks, I think I set off on a, on a life path that was maybe, what I had seen around me and maybe a little bit more expected. I studied political science. I ended up with a job at the state capitol in Michigan and wow. thought I was going to be a policy analyst or something like that in a cubicle or something like that. I mean, I don't I don't totally know what I was thinking. It's um, like the opposite of making whiskey with rock stars. I have zagged. Right. We have in <laughs> <laughs> one day I was in the office. I was in my early 20s. And I was looking around and I thought to myself, this isn't quite what I, this isn't how I wanted to feel. Right. Um, right. And, and I had been from a pretty young age, um, I've always had a pretty hard case of, of wanderlust. And it, uh, I, I've always been inspired to hit the road, go check out places. I feel comfortable in new places, comfortable speaking to people I've never talked to before. And, um, so that day in the state capitol in Michigan, I thought, this is no fun. This is not what I want to do. And uh, I was thinking that around the same time that a friend of mine called and said, my grandmother has a bed and breakfast in France. Do you want to go manage it? She doesn't have a manager. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and I thought, I don't even know what that means, but sure. Yes, I do. Put my tie in the garbage can, hopped on a plane, went to France. Don't speak a lick of French. Um but uh, I ended up working in this bed and breakfast, managing a bed and breakfast, with, which was a 400-year-old silkworm factory. So they had, back in the day, they had silkworms, and they would collect the silk and make something, scarves. And Your entry um, to whiskey sounds a lot like the beginning of a Wes Anderson movie. You know what? It, yes, very much. Oh. So this is nestled in the foothills <laughs> of the Savannah Mountains. I'm um, picturing mandolins playing in a in a uh, an indie with an indie vibe as you tell this story. Yeah, but imagine also you hear sort of cowbells going by and look out the window and there's a flock of goats, right? That's, awesome. and that's what you hear kicking up the dust is a flock of goats. And um, <laughs> the job at the bed and breakfast it left me with a lot of spare time. And at the bottom of the mountain uh, was a vineyard, and so I got a side job working in the vineyard. 
and oh, fell awesome. in love with making wine. Um, I got a job. I was clipping. I was pruning vines, um, just going back and forth, pruning vines so that you would have greater yield in the grapes. Uh, I worked the harvest. I worked the crush, cleaned out the cove, the fermentation area. I was, ended, I was there for about four months and fell in love with the entire process. Part of it also there in the, in the, back of the cove in the production area was sort of covered with a blanket with like a horse blanket um what was an old beat up metal still a copper still i did not oh. know about distillation at the time but the thing was like you know i kept on looking at it out of the corner i'm like what's that thing over there and so like uh, calling to you yeah pretty much actually and so one day the, the owner the winemaker brought me over and he he said, we're making brandy next week, so come and check it out. So oh. I was there. I was making brandy. Knowing what I know now, I would. It, this was not an up-to-spec. <laughs> this, this, this still would not have passed an inspection by a TTB <laughs> agent or a fire marshal or anything. Um, but I fell in love with the concept of you put wine and you light a fire underneath it. And out comes a clear liquid that is... 80% alcohol, yeah. um, brandy in that case, and, and the aromatics and tasting brandy off of a still for the first time, I pretty much knew at that moment that I wanted to be a distiller. I didn't know what that meant. I thought I wanted to be a winemaker until that point. Right. But then I found out you could take, you know, a hundred gallons of wine and make 15 gallons of spirit out of it. And I thought, I want I want the concentrated aromas. I want the concentrated alcohol, the concentrated mouthfeel, all of that. Anyhow, long story short, I had to come back to the States. And I knew at that point that I wanted to be involved. I, I knew about production of wine. And now I wanted to understand more about spirits. Um, I ended up getting a job with a hospitality company, setting up bars, training bartenders, um, and getting to know a lot more about spirits in general, single malts, cognac, American whiskey. And that was really my crash course in whiskey was through the hospitality side. In the summers, even the following summer and for the summer after that, I'd go back to France and work in the wine, work, work, work at the wine, come back, set up bars, train bartenders. And that sort of going back and forth and reinforcing an understanding of production on the wine side, at least. And then understanding what's going on in the market in terms of cocktails, spirits, emerging trends and all of that. Mm -hmm. They really fed off of each other. And frankly, Whiskey Gypsy is a... It is a product of that interaction between understanding this this view that you know we're, we're blenders at, at Whiskey Gypsy, um, and, and what a blender does is it looks at what other people would see as a finished spirit, a product on a shelf behind you at the bar. Right, that's no longer a finished product. That's now an ingredient. That's right, part of something, and you know. Which is really uh, the coolest way to start is when you're already starting with something. Uh, uh, you talk to blenders and and you can't take bad and make good, but you can take good and make great. And I, yeah. I think that's such a wonderful starting point is that you're able to take something that's already amazing and then shoot it through the frickin' roof uh, uh, by blending it with more amazing. Yeah, I you know, there's... There are some spirits that are absolutely perfect the way they are. Absolutely. Um, but even sometimes those spirits can offer value in the service of a different concept. And, you know, an example would be I love scotches from Isla. Big, 
viscous, smoky <clears throat> scotches. Peaty. And they're yeah, and they're great by themselves. That being said, they can also contribute to a blend if you feel like doing something unique. So at the happy hours at the bars that that I was involved in, we'd have a graduated cylinder, a 50 milliliter graduated cylinder. And happy hour was customers could come in and from the back bar, choose any single malts or bourbons or anything they wanted and make their own 50 milliliter dram. Oh, how cool is that? And so things like Isla scotches, if you put them in at 5% or 10% of a blend, now they're they're not overwhelming. You can bring them into balance with other characteristics as well. And for me, that it was very clear that that if, if you could access top-notch scotches of whiskey from around the world, which is what we're doing, and you can then kind of blend them in fun, unique, playful ways, you're able to create whiskey with character that maybe people haven't experienced yet. And how is blends that people have never had? That's, I mean, freaking salivating over here. Uh, what was the trial and error period like for you? Like, like how long did it take you to really get under your belt? How much of what needs to go with something to make it uh, not only palatable, but, but an enhanced experience? So it's obviously completely subjective, right? <laughs> and and it, it helps to interact with bartenders and it helps to interact with with bar customers and seeing where folks palates are and where their preferences are um but it, it's a long process and it involves having graduated cylinders pipettes you have to be able to measure very accurately you have to write down everything tasting notes and then the um, precision the precision is really important and I, I should bring up after sort of doing this hospitality and in and, and winemaking uh, I had a, a major pivot point in my life, which is I was introduced to Dr. Chris Berglund at Michigan State University, who founded the first distilling program in the country. Just happened to be up the road from where I was living. Like, talk about everything's fault. Yeah. I mean, just the trajectory of this thing. You were meant to do this. Like, it has organically, like, you've gone from one thing to the next organically in this progression. It's just kind of, it's, it, it is, it still feels like a Wes Anderson movie to me, the way that this thing's going right now. Yeah, well, Dr. Berglund is, by some accounts, the godfather of craft distilling in the United States. He's the person who, uh, at the very beginning of the craft distilling boom, he he was the guy who, if you were an entrepreneur or into marketing or whatever your entrance into spirits was, you would go to him and he would help flesh out the scientific side of it, right, um, right, and, and help develop processes. And, and if you you had a product in mind, Dr. Berglund's going to help you create a process to create that product consistently. And uh, I, I met a few people who were working in his shop at the time at Michigan State at his lab, basically a, a distillery, a production distillery size laboratory. And Dr. Berglund was gracious uh, 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 enough to hire me to work at the distillery, to work with emerging brands to help develop products. And then he and his team of scientists, we would collectively create a process basically producing a standard operating procedure, which the entrepreneur could take back and start their own distillery. We were an incubator and an accelerator for brands. And there wasn't anything else quite like that at the time. So, which is, abs and that's, that's, 
you were that key component to so many people's dreams where you have someone that has that epiphany like you had where I want to do this. I want this to be what I do for a living. But then uh, they didn't know where to go. And we're talking about that time period where it wasn't like it is now when there are so many resources and so much of the industry is more open in terms of the information they share like mm-hmm. this is still like it's like wrestling there's still a lot of kayfabe going on That's at right. this period where they're protecting the business and you were kind of invited in with open arms just an incredible position to be in and then dr berglund was also training the next generation distillers not only in fermentation science and distillation techniques but in sensory evaluation what are the proper ways to evaluate spirits through nosing you know drinking through conducting um, scientific based tasting panels and uh, i just had the great just incredible fortune of having a seat at the table. I didn't deserve necessarily a seat at the table, but I had a seat at the table. So there you are. And um, and, and through Michigan State, we were involved in the development of probably hundreds of commercially available products with dozens and dozens and dozens of craft distillers, but also some very large distilleries in Kentucky and Indiana and elsewhere, uh, where we were charged with helping their R&D teams who have you know, at the time, these massive distilleries didn't really have R&D capabilities. They didn't have small little distilleries where they could uh, imagine the next generation of products. They, they ironically would come from Kentucky to East Lansing, Michigan, of all places. And, uh, you know, that Dr. Berglund took a passion, not just for me, but for a lot of people, Dr. Berglund took a passion and then, and then created a mechanism for folks to really turn it into an occupation. The foresight that he had to open that information up to so many different people. I, I, you wouldn't have so many things that we're enjoying right now if he hadn't kicked that door open and, and shared those uh, lessons with people like yourself and others. Uh, Mm -hmm. The, R and D is an interest. I hadn't thought about that. I, 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 I knew about the uh, explosion of craft and, and, and I know that it came back to him. Uh, uh, but that's also around the time that the big boys started recognizing that they needed to compete or they needed to start expanding their own expression list if they were going to move forward. So he was able to help them set up their playground more or less. Like we wouldn't have some of these uh, one-off limited edition goodness bottles that we get if he hadn't have kind of ushered that through. He, I didn't he, know that. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, he's he was uh, he was one of these wellsprings of uh, he, get, he he brought science to the table. So now you're a major corporation. Maybe you have a couple people in your R and D department who are you know, creatives or whatnot. And right. he he brings everyone to the table and can say to. Uh, the, the managers, no, these people aren't totally crazy. These people have a great idea. And here's a standard operating procedure. You can now go scale it up. How to make it um, happen. In, in, absolutely. And in, in, we miss him. He, he passed away, sadly, a few years ago, the late, great Dr. Berglund. Um, but his fingerprints are all over this industry and will be for a very long time. That's, a, that's awesome. How long were you with him? How long were you uh, working, uh, distilling and learning from him? For about five years. God bless. That's amazing. It's just amazing. I held on to that as as long as I could. Um, because you recognized. You knew where you were. 
It, it, absolutely. Yeah, it, it was hard. I mean, every day you'd show up and there would be some new luminary uh, who's coming into Dave Pickerel's coming in today. <laughs> OK, let's hang out for Dave with Dave let's Pickerel for a week. Right. <laughs> the folks from MGP are coming up for a couple of weeks. Fantastic. And then this just incredible roster of of craft distillers who at the time were very green. Um, yeah. But they were figuring things out and they had the vision and it just became a really, really great place for 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 quite a while. And it has everything to do with the vision of Dr. Berglund to bring science into this industry, craft distilling. Uh, and we're seeing the ramifications and the ripples to this day. I love it. I love it. You blend creative with science and, and you're always going to get something good. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's also at the stage where some of the older whiskey makers, they'd always done it the same way. So to have someone taking a workflow and applying that workflow uh, in an uh, applicable way to others and what they were currently already doing, that's 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 big, man. I mean, that, that's uh, that's an amazing uh, achievement that he was able to get that done and that the hesitation wasn't like that's always the thing uh, that I get stuck on is that why so many different companies hesitated to adhere for so long, you know, like the old ways permeated for a while before we got here. Yeah, well, one of the on the back of our bottle uh, at Whiskey Gypsy, we say tradition reimagined um, because we very much come from this traditional background. We, we understand that the, the whiskey making traditions would love them, but just like grow. you can blend spirits together, mm -hmm. um, you can blend traditions together in a, in, in a new sort of imaginative way. And, and that's kind of, that's, that was Eric's vision. Uh, you know, that's, I, eventually I got a, a phone call out of the blue. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Right. So, from, from Eric Church of all people. Of all people. Um, and, and, and now you, you had, you had left, uh, uh, you would, you weren't working there anymore and you had already, uh, yeah, well so, established in the industry for being a great whiskey maker. So, well, so how, right. how did you and Eric, uh, how did you and Eric meet? How did he get your number? How did all of that come to be? Um, so at a certain point, Michigan state university decided that they wanted to pull back from sort of being a business incubator for craft distilling. Um, this was a, a decision made at the highest level without much concern for the distilling industry or, or anyone like that. So they were sort of shutting down that process. Meanwhile, the client roster that we were dealing with was increasing. So there's an opportunity to yep. continue to work with these people who, who need this important service of product and, and, and process development. So I continued in that route, just no longer with Michigan State through my own company. Right. Um, and uh, frankly, you put that up on what you're doing and you get a couple press releases about projects as they're releasing and folks that are interested in developing new products find you. They get a hold of you. Somehow they find your phone number. And, right. you, you know, you mentioned whiskey, Dave a moment ago. You yeah. sort of became Dave. Like people are now reaching out to you. I, I know. I know. I know. I, with reverence, <laughs> with reverence. But that same mentality where, because what you just said, I've had so many people say that exact statement to me only with we reached out to Dave and brought him in. And now they're reaching out to you and bringing you in. It's 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 pretty cool, man. Dave, I mean, at this point here, we are talking about legends like Dr. Berglund and, and Dave and, and, and Dave Pickerel and folks that, you know, had 
was able to just not only work with them, but then go out to lunch with them um, and, and hear the stories and, and the stories really are the best. Yeah. Well, you know, with whiskey yet, yeah, we're making this consumable product, but we really are in the storytelling business. If your whiskey is not telling a story, then it it's missing the mark. Cause yes, yep. you have to have a fantastic product, but if it doesn't have a story and a perspective, what's the damn point? It's like anything you can make it, but if there's no perspective behind it, then you're never going to have that human connection with it. Yeah. And, and obviously listen, Dave set the bar so incredibly high and there are folks like me again, he was Johnny Appleseed um, <laughs> in, in, in Berglund. It's very interesting in, in working with Dr. Berglund and Dave, this is like, some of the most incredible energy that I've ever felt in a room because because Berglund's thing was if you want help you come up to East Lansing this is where the laboratory is this is where the gas chromatograph is this is where the mass spectrometer is this is where we're training students you come there Dave's thing was very different he will go to you yeah right yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so these two were kind of hand in glove a lot of the time and when Dave needed analytical work done you know where the samples would be sent to, to Michigan State University but Dave was on the road and Chris didn't like to be on the road. He, we occasionally sent um, grad students out to help companies put together stills. And Dr. Berglund always called uh, <laughs> those folks the flying monkeys. <laughs> we'll, we'll send out the flying monkeys. He, he was a little bit of a homebody. Uh, but he would send out his flying monkeys like the wicked witch of right yeah exactly uh, and uh yeah but these folks like uh, like like dr berglund and, and dave pickerel these are they've created the mold that folks like me try to emulate um you know we're not there yet those folks are legendary for a reason oh, of course um, but, but still, we, what, that, it gives us something to aspire to and what wonderful company to have kept so your name gets out there and and you become the man to call. So you pick up the phone one day and and, and he's just he's found you like like tell me the origin story behind Whiskey yeah, Gypsy. He, he, basically, uh, this is incredible. Eric Church, who has a very successful collaboration with a very large Tennessee distillery called Jack. Um, it, it, it has a wonderful song called Jack and it has his name on a bottle. Of course, he's the only musician or maybe the only person to ever have his name on a bottle aside from Frank Sinatra. Right, right. Um, he says, hey, I still have a really incredible relationship with Jack. That's that's not necessarily going anywhere. But he this is Eric Church. He is a creative human being who has ideas constantly bubbling up. And I sympathize with this. And if you don't do something with those ideas, they become a little oppressive. Yes. You have to make them, you have to tr see where these ideas will go. You've been handed these ideas somehow. And they start to you hurt. They start to fester if you don't do anything with them. And then and then you they're weighing you down. It's almost like you shed the weight of a good idea uh, by getting it out there so you can focus on the next one. You just articulated it as well as anyone possibly could. And... Eric was feeling that weight. I feel that weight too. You clearly feel that weight as well because it can hear that in, uh, in the way you articulated that. And he said, I'm just interested in seeing what stories we can tell, what we can, you know, what else can be done in the whiskey space. And I've 
myself and other whiskey makers, we get phone calls from folks all the time that want to make a quick buck because they've got a name that they can sign on a bottle. They can sell it for a lot of money. And frankly, like that's really boring. (laughs) That's a really boring way of spending your life. In my opinion, there's nothing wrong with writing your name on the front of a, like I get that. I get that. But unless you're going to bring something unique to the equation from a product point of view, I will just a name on a bottle and and it might be a great business. And there's, I don't, I'm not digging that. You say love exactly. And here's the name of a couple other people that are better for you than what I can bring to the table. That's exactly how you handle that. A thousand percent. Nothing wrong with what you're doing. Go talk to my boy. He can hook you up In, 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 you know, again, nothing wrong at all with what Eric was, you know, doing with Jack Daniels. He was putting his name on a fantastic bottle of, of whiskey. Absolutely. Like I already had it in my collection. Right. And it's, it's um, sought after. It's sought after for sure. Yeah. And I said to him, you know, are you interested in kind of doing the same thing or do you want to do something? Do you want to do something different? Do you want to do something that maybe hasn't done been done before? And it's it's a road that's going to here in Michigan, where I am, we say it's it's plowing snow. You're going to have to put in the other people are going to be behind you with this concept, but you're plowing the snow. You're doing the work like and it's uncharted. And he said he's at a point in his life where he wants to do things that are uncharted. He has beautiful guts. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) And And that fortitude to push forward. He doesn't need to do this, right? He doesn't need to be a visionary, but he is and he can't help it. Um, That's awesome. So obviously I was aware of Eric Church. How can you not be? Um, and uh, my, my wife and I, our first date was to a Bruce Springsteen concert. So there we, we go. really knew that. Yeah, like Bruce Springsteen <laughs> is, plays part in my marriage and my, you know, my emerging love with my wife and all of that. Um, it's full circle, man. It really is. It's so full circle. My wife, this, this, everything you just said, my wife's father, he has a company that would literally plow Bruce Springsteen's driveway when it would when it would snow in Connecticut or wherever he lives now. <laughs> wow, how about that? The, the snowplow analogy <laughs> plus the Bruce concert it resonates. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, it, it, Eric said he was interested in doing things that hadn't been done. He and, and he he kind of quoted a song. Um, he said, "You know, we're about taking chances. Lives are made for chances." And it turns out that comes in later because the song that whiskey gypsy that phrase comes from um never break heart is you know it has the song lives are made for chances and i said this is this guy's different i like i said talked to a lot of musicians talked to a lot of athletes really wonderful people not all of them want to move the industry forward in a creative way with quality that was eric's intention and um, so I went home, put on my earphones, listened basically to to him through the years again, just to sort of reacquaint myself on a deeper level with his music. And what became very clear to me was that his music has always, from the beginning until now, incorporated all these various musical traditions. Like he is, you can you can hear traditional country music you can hear arena rock you can hear outlaw music i was gonna say a lot of outlaw yeah i mean it's rock like like allman brothers like Mm -hmm. it's 
you can pull out these incredible threads, these threads, because he understands various musical traditions and he understands how to weave them together in the form of country music. And and he, it's just what he does is very specialized and unique and and difficult to pull off. And so I called him back and I said, well, you know, based on listening to your music, I have an idea of something that we might try, which is just like your music is made from these various traditions that you uniquely put together. Maybe we can really be at the forefront of blending different whiskey traditions from various places um, in, in, in blending bourbon with single malt and rye whiskey and see if we can't highlight these different whiskey making traditions, these different stories and pull them together in, in kind of the structure of American whiskey. Um, but do something that hasn't really, really been done very much. Did um, he pop? Was he just like, hell yeah, let's do it. He was basically like, hell yeah, let's just do it. <laughs> he had a great gut feeling about it. And then we were thinking like, okay, his music is very much in the form of country music. What can we do to make this like in the form of American music, at least for the first release? Cause we've got a lot of releases and they, they get super, I'm really excited about what, what comes next, but for the first release, what we thought would be kind of a fun challenge would be to start with the premise that we were going to, instead of making a traditional 21% mash bill where, you know, 75% corn or 70% corn, 21% rye, and then the balance being malt, in the mash bill itself said, okay, let's go get a, let's go get a really compelling corn whiskey or a, a corn forward whiskey and make that 70% of the blend. Love it. Then let's Love find it. a great rye and let's make that 21% of the blend. Right. Create and then the percentage the, from the goodness, create from the, the mash bill, kind of riff on a mash bill concept. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. And we thought like, has that, has anybody tried that yet? Couldn't really find anyone who tried that. So it checked the box of doing something original. New. Yeah. At least to us, we'd never tasted that before. And then once we kind of had that form of we were going to do like a 70, 21, 9 reconstructed mash bill. <laughs> now let's go find various spirits that might fit the bill and just create a whole bunch of prototypes, send them out to are, you know, whether it's bartenders or folks in the industry do like blind tastings yeah. and it, with, with the parameters that we wanted to create something that has a distinct aroma, had to have like a full luscious mouth feel, um, had to be differentiated in a blind lineup, sort of all the boxes. If you're trying to do something different and of quality, um, then folks who always expect the same thing, you know, uh, we want to surprise them and challenge them right. with quality. And, 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 and that was really the vision for legacy 001 called the journey, because it frankly took almost two years to find all the products and make all the prototypes and create the concept and, 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 and do everything. And, and Eric and Raj, uh, co-founder, an incredible creative business acumen, um, great guys. Uh, and they all and shared this vision. You can talk to Raj for hours. Like you, you get Raj going, and and it's uh, he. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's remarkable. I mean, the three of us sitting around a campfire, smoking cigars and drinking whiskey. Oh my uh, god, dude! We've, we've just we've all had Freaking a lot magical. of. 
pretty interesting experiences and 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 we, we just kind of bond and vibe around this storytelling of yeah, I was in this place this one time and, uh, you know, it led to this new story and, and then start talking about an experience. And then all of a sudden another sort of whiskey idea pops up. Hey, well, we should make a whiskey, you know, that now, you know, soon, very soon you're going to see in, in, in these future releases where we're riffing on mash bills, uh, blends of international whiskeys so we're going to have single malts coming in from all over we have rye whiskeys currently coming from across the border corn whiskeys at this point there are so many quality whiskeys coming from all over the place Mm -hmm. not just the typical places that people assume whiskeys come from that we can blend them if we find the right whiskeys and we get them in the same room we can blend them together and again we can create whiskeys that nobody has tried before and they're going to be challenging and they're going to be of the highest quality attainable. Um, and that's, and that's the most the exciting. Yes. And that's the most exciting part about it to be putting something new out there that has your pedigree behind it. Uh, I was going to ask you what were some of the things you were experimenting with while you were in that process, but I feel like that might cheat us out of uh, the surprise of what comes next. It might cheat you out of so, but I, I can drop a couple hints. So yes, we're very interested in sort of grain forward spirits in general. So uh, we, we we love American oak and, and heavy char American oak. And, and that obviously has its place for sure. And we love that character. There are whiskeys all over the world that, you know, whiskey is an agricultural product. It's not unlike working in the fields of France and then the the character of the field ends up in the bottle. It's the same thing with, with whiskey and, we we love very well aged grain forward spirits and, and and blending them in new ways and taking these products that would be fantastic products by themselves you know properly aged representing a place or a time or has a unique character they would be great by themselves but in the service of a blend what can they do um and that's the challenge for this company is to figure out where can we find really unique special spirits made from any all types of grains, not just the normal grains that folks think of, but if it's of quality and it's and it and, it, and it's of of maturity, you're going to see us blending some grains that maybe folks haven't experienced in blends before. Oh, I love it. And you're just weaving that tapestry. You're putting it together the same way he puts his music together, where you're taking those various resources and and combining them in a way that heightens the heightens the entire lot. Eric and Raj are both very hands on every step of the process from design to liquid um, to the liquid concept and the, and, and the execution. Like Very hands on. I, I work with a lot of people and they're very hands on folks. They they're used to being hands-on. I mean, Eric's a band leader, right? Talk right, about right. like this is his perspective on how a team works. Raj is the, the CEO of many companies. Um, like these folks hold reins and, and they make sure things are moving in the right direction. And to have that energy behind this this creative process is, is really special. Well, I mean, it comes through the glass, man. Like I've been sitting here nosing this thing. It smells absolutely phenomenal. So so we got to uh, the glass. We got to the company. You've you've created this beautiful partnership with Eric Church. What 
what can you tell me about legacy? What can you tell me about this first one that you want people to write when they go get a bottle? What do you want them to take away from uh, the goodness that's sitting before me right now? Oh, first of all, thanks for the kind words uh, about the product. We were looking for a corn. We were looking for three spirits that would blend very well together in a way that folks maybe hadn't tried before and have a rich mouthfeel, top-notch aroma, lingering finish, and then layers of character. All at a high proof. It's 115 proof. It's, it's the real deal. Beautiful. We were able to find some very good bourbon to use as the base. Seven and eight-year-old straight Indiana bourbon. 99% corn. Not not 70%, not 60%. Yeah. Right. I mean, you 99% really corn. accomplished what you set out to. You found the you found the piece to be the corn in your your uh, deconstructed mash bill. That's right. And we went through a lot of corn whiskeys. And this one got fantastic by itself. Um, uh, my, my assumption is it was distilled by someone I think who's been on your show before. Uh, the, the great uh, Greg Metz. Um Really, oh my really amazing guy. <laughs> really oh my goodness. Legendary Just, distiller. And and so humble uh, with his own accomplishments. I mean, his abilities are just he's he's a great guy and 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 he just he loves it. And and his love for it comes through. So yeah, a thousand percent on that one. Uh part of being a blender is in addition to to, to servicing the blend, you have to honor the people who created the components and it makes something that would hopefully make them proud. And so as you're constructing these blends and you're using MGP products, you're thinking, man, I bet Greg Metz was involved in the production of this whiskey. It better be really good because his hands, whether he likes it or not, are involved in this. And, and, and that's, again, it's part of like the ripple effect of, of these products and of being a blender is you you get to, by extension, work with these legendary folks like Greg. Um, so the, 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 the corn bourbon brought a certain character. And to round it out, we wanted a very special rye whiskey. And we had to go north of the border to find a 20-year-old rye whiskey. I, that spice comes through the nose, man. It really does. That I, I was wondering, because there's a sweetness that comes to the spice of, of, of the northern rye. And it is singing in the nose of this thing. You've got the sweetness of the corn, which is just like flowing like a damn field. Like, I mean, just just the aromas that are popping off of the sweet notes are fantastic. But then right underneath that, you have this sweet and spicy going on that is just Freaking fantastic. Um, thank you. So the the Canadian rye, Canadian rye, I'm a huge fan of rye in general. We geek out on rye for a little bit. It felt like it. Rye is considered the flavor in grain and whiskey, in American whiskey at least. Rye is where the flavor is. It's a, it's a special grain. It grows on bad soil. It grows on acidic soil and sandy soil and rocky soil. It can grow anywhere. It can grow places that other plants can't. <laughs> that other grasses can't and it provides more flavor to me i think than just about any other grain barley produces a lot of flavor rye produces a lot of flavor corn as we understand it so far it, you can pull flavors out of corn but it's really there it has a high starch content can produce right. alcohol efficiently the chemistry um, 
Yeah, but 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 rye and, and barley are really where the flavor comes from. So this rye in particular, incredibly aromatic, leathery, spicy flowers, and really at different dilution points, different com- different aromatics will come out of solution. So at a high proof, you smell it and you get one thing. You throw in a couple drops of water, and you might act, you might get different aromatics coming out of it. And we took this rye and we had it at 120 proof, 100 proof, 80 proof, and 60 proof. And it's, there's something, you know, there's there's a through line of what it smells like, but different character was certainly coming out at these different proof points. And that's what we look for in complexity. And that's what you get from properly aged spirits, um, particularly spirits from cool weather climates, because one special thing uh, about uh, maturation in, in Canada or in colder climates like Michigan, where I am, is if you let the product go on a little bit longer, uh, you know, certainly you'll get the effect of the wood coming in. But in a cold climate, the alcohol liquid in general can can hold more dissolved oxygen. Right, 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 and, right, right. And like 50% more dissolved, like a significant amount more dissolved oxygen in the spirit. And that oxygen is can, can catalyze some chemical reactions, esterification, other various things that happen in a barrel over the course of time that need alcohol is, is one of the, one of the, the ingredients. And so you get flavors in Canadian rye or cold weather aged spirits that you will not get in warm climates because you don't have that oxygen content in the spirit. So really highlighting these different maturation conditions comes through in the glass. To go back to Dave, that's one of the things he preached way back when, when people were really just discounting the Canadian whiskey, uh, the the Canadian rye specifically. He was like, nah, man, this is where some of that goodness comes from. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, That's interesting to know that is is why due to the temperature that it's that it's um, aging in. So that that's yeah. Well, that's one of the that right. That's one of the factors. Another one of the factors is if you let the whiskey age in used barrels that aren't heavily reactive, very extractive, that, you know, that wood can potentially obscure some of the finer uh, changes going on in the whiskey. It's kind of like wood is a very dominant flavor. And if you can tone the wood down by not aging it in a hot, humid climate, new American heavy charred wood, which is going to impart a lot of character, it's almost like hops in beer. Right, 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 right. You throw enough hops in that, it's going to taste like hops. It's the same thing with oak. I think there are a lot of whiskeys out there that are over-oaked. I agree. Um, And and I think think whiskey is an agricultural product. And if you can taste the agriculture and the field and the grain coming through, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, And and used barrels are really good for allowing grain to shine, grain character to shine through. And there's a whole other rabbit hole we could go through right there just in terms of People are playing with, and I love anything that pushes the boundaries of what we're doing right now. I absolutely love, but I think in some of these further barrel explorations that you're seeing right now, you are getting, some of them do, you get a little bit too much. Like you, you can go too far. Like the beauty of pushing the boundaries is you're going to have some that don't go far enough. Some that go too far, some that are just right, you know? Uh, uh, But I know exactly what you mean when it comes to, yeah, that's a forest. As- yeah. <laughs> right. What where it becomes really interesting, and again, and winemakers know this because there's different varietals of rind. There's Cabernet, there's Merlot, there's Chardonnay, there's Sauvignon Blanc, right? There's all these different varietals of grapes, and they produce very different wines. They have very different character. Brewers understand that your 
beer is going to be very different depending on what kind of barley you use, but also the influence of different varietals of hops. So whether you're using a citra or some other varietal of hop, your beer is going to be very different. It's going to take on the characteristics of that varietal of hops. What we, what is now emerging, one of the most interesting, I think, emerging trends in whiskey in general is that we understand that varietals, whether of corn, rye, barley, rice, whatever, wheat, each one of the varietals within the category of, let's say, rye has a different character, just like Cabernet is different than Merlot, which is different than Pinot Noir. Danko rye is different than Hazlitt rye, which is different than Gazelle rye, which is different than Rosen rye, which is different than a Bruzy rye. And even within the category of rye, if you have a good relationship with your farmers, you can go real deep in developing new flavors that people haven't tasted in whiskey before or haven't tasted since prohibition when the bean counters took over procurement Uh and said non-varietal specific is totally fine because it's less expensive. Yep. And that's really what we care about. Um, Well, I mean, you go pre-prohibition, you've got, you've got people distilling with whatever they had available. Like there was no, uh, I mean, good and bad, but the the it was the wild west of whiskey making because it was you had a farm, probably had a farm, probably farmed crops, had that middle ground where you had to figure out what to do with the excess grain. Like uh, it wasn't go to this guy for this, go to that guy for that. You know what I mean? What it, what it becomes really interesting, sort of right before prohibition, and if you go on newspapers.com or go to uh, the Filson Library or a library in Kentucky, and you do a search for grain advertisements from newspapers, because oh, the distillers down there were looking for a lot of, uh, basically you can, in Lexington and Louisville and Bardstown, you can find these old advertisements during harvest time of what grains are coming there from what part of the country. And and a lot of the times those advertisements will be varietal specific. There is this type of barley coming from this part of the country or this type of rye is coming from this part of the country to Lexington. And, and this is not an advertisement for a farmer. This is an advertisement for a distiller. Right. Right. So right, right. In, and in one of the varietals that I'm particularly interested in is called Rosen rye, which was, by all accounts, the preferred rye for distillers for a, for a good 30-year period. Um, and it, it came from Michigan, of all places. It was developed at Michigan Agricultural College, which is now Michigan State University. Uh, and it was used extensively. And I mean, you have a you have a, a Michter's barrel head behind you, Right. Right. Michters wrote about Michigan rose and rye on their jugs, on their marketing jugs, let's say right on the back. You know, we get our rye. And this is when it was a, you know, primarily a rye company. They right. were getting their rye and it was rose and rye varietal specified from Michigan. The old Seagram's Distillers Manual specified Michigan rose and rye, oh, um, cool as do that. Shenley advertisements. Uh, Shenley was the Diageo of its day. Right. And, and so I think one of the trends that, that a lot of folks are looking at right now is understanding that grains have varietals, just like hops, just like grapes, just like oranges, just like onions. And those varietals will affect the character of the spirit. And and if we can scale down production a little bit um, so that we can purchase and procure specific varietals of grain, we'll be able to produce different types of whiskey. 
And that is one of the most exciting parts of the boom that we're in right now is that you've got people like yourselves thinking that way so that you can go out and explore those different flavor profiles that come by the different types of grain that you're using. Uh, uh, it's exciting, man. And I love hearing the passion in your voice as you talk about it. Like, it's just like uh, uh, a composer. You're like a maestro putting it all together. Well, I think the next generation is going to have it. You know, you want the next generation to have it better than you had it. Right. I agree. I agree. They're not going to have any of the um, uh, taboos. They're not going to have any of the stigmas associated that your generation had where you're fighting to break down certain boundaries so that you could do it certain ways. They're just going to have an onslaught of whatever they can think of. If it's good, it'll be uh, easier accepted than yours, than some of the stuff your generation would have made uh, finishing. I always go back to like uh, finished barrels. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Secondary barrels like that was taboo 10 years ago. And now look at it like uh, all of these little uh, uh, victories in terms of pushing it forward. The next generation is just going to be able to go hog wild. Some of some of the most interesting people, I think, in the entire industry. Yes, there's incredible distillers and people focus on the distillers and, and to a certain extent the blenders the farmers deserve more credit in this industry mm. in general the mm. farmers are the unsung well heroes of this industry for sure particularly the farmers that are working very closely with distillers um they doing... don't they don't get their due they very rarely come up that's awesome that you brought them up because nobody does <laughs> i'd love to see more interviews and, and articles about the farmers that are supplying innovative distillers with the inputs to make this new whiskey because folks, you know, they, they get overlooked, but they're the unsung heroes. And the other folks that are, and you bring it up with secondary barrels, they're some of the most interesting people in the industry um, are the folks that are out there in the world visiting wineries or brandy distilleries or cooperages in Europe and South America and Asia, all in Asia. I'd love to see more coming from Africa. Um, there's there's varietals of wood that are used in African spirit production that have not yet made it to the United States. I'm very much looking forward to those becoming available. Oh. Um, and cachaça, for instance, in, in Brazil, it's a, you know it's a, essentially like a rum, uh, sugarcane based, um, has 30 or 35 different types of wood that you're allowed to use for the barrels. Um, Ambarana being one of them, Ambarana is now famous in the United States and people are experimenting with it, but balsa wood, right? They Ooh. used to make your paper airplanes from has incredible character, right? And in, in, in the character from wood, we, we think about it in terms of American oak primarily, right. or sometimes French oak primarily. We think about it in terms of being charred primarily, but when you start looking at Mongolian oak, and Mizunara and some of, um, and I'm not even talking about secondary barrels now. I'm just talking about just wood, talking about wood types. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And then you can toast them or char them to various degrees. There is now an entire spectrum of character that's available that wasn't available five years ago. Like everything else, though, it, it, as it expands, you're just going to have a, a broader uh, paint. Uh, you know, you can paint with a broader brush. Absolutely. And I mean, that's really exciting. And that is something that we at Whiskey Gypsy are very much leaning into and experimenting with. And we have all kinds of we're, we're essentially creating a library of blending components um, with top notch spirits and wood from all over the world. We're very agnostic about national 
borders when it comes to whiskey making. Of course. Um, it, I mean, why? Yeah. There's it, so it, much great. It's limiting, right? So. Well, that, that those are the boundaries we're breaking down, right? Like, uh, that was what it that's what it's always it's it's one of those things where the way it's always been butts up against what it could be and and just the stigma of sticking to the past sometimes needs to be kicked open so that you can usher in what's next the idea of being a free spirit in the world of whiskey a whiskey gypsy from from the song never break heart um has to do with just being unbound by convention uh reimagining tradition these are sort of the, the very high level goals or sort of visions that we put together that inform how we make whiskey uh respect tradition but reimagine it you know of understand course. conventions but you're not bound by them well said well said there's a way that you can you can play uh there's a way you can recognize the past while taking what you've learned from it and applying it to the future Mm-hmm. And when you look at wine production or, 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 or even production of, of other kinds of alcoholic beverages from around the world, a lot of them have the influence of these different types of wood, different types of barrels that aren't necessarily oak. And these woods oftentimes play very well with whiskey. Just nobody's had them before. Right. And so we are challenging the consumer to try things they haven't tried before, for sure. Um, out, maybe the, outside of the wheelhouse. But that's where we are right now. The landscape is such where the consumer's looking to try that wood that they've never had before. Try that uh, uh, something new. Like that's sort of what they're craving at this point uh, in that now they're hooked. Now mm-hmm. that they have uh, gone a little bit, they want to go the whole way and just experience everything under the sun. It's a niche market. But it's growing, and there are people that are that want it now that didn't want it previously. Uh, it's like the consumer has matured. Uh, the, the The consumer is growing with the boom, and as more things become available, their palates are now ready to experience it, where they might not have been with uh, only one or two general expressions to choose from in the past, or general yeah. methods of making, or back in the past. You know these barrel brokers that are finding the secondary barrels and then bringing them to the United States and offering them to distillers right. are another one of these unsung heroes, like the farmers who are really at the front lines of creating new character for American whiskey or whiskey in general. Um, and they have phenomenal stories. And when a whiskey maker starts incorporating, say three different types of whiskeys into a blend, now you have a whiskey maker and three distillers involved right. in this blend one for each of the components. And then if some of that whiskey is finished in secondary barrels, our next release will have some finished components. Um, really incredible Spoiler secondary alert. barrels. Yeah, a little, a little dropping that out there. Now, <laughs> now the whiskey isn't just a whiskey from a whiskey maker. It's a whiskey from a whiskey maker with three different distillers and maybe another handful of producers who were involved in the character that's coming from those barrels now now you've got like 10 people at the table involved in the production of this whiskey all of whom have phenomenal stories that should be shared and you have a whiskey that kind of represents a real international community of makers well i mean those stories i mean i can't even imagine some of the stories that come when you get to uh when you pass the North American borders, uh, like I've, I've 
gotten to speak with people that like make make grappa and and mm. just the different forms of of using the grains at their disposal as you get into some of those other countries and it's they look at it similar to the way we look at it but they do it in a way that is um more precise like there's a precision to it like the the romance is there but it's also just been and it might be time it might be the fact that it's just been passed down for so many more centuries than our method our methods have that they um it's it's like it, it, it it's second nature. That's what I'm looking for. They've been doing it for so long that it's like second nature and it's it's mechanical at this point. Like there's mm-hmm. romance to it, but it's still like, yeah, that's what we do. It's it's how we do it. it you know what I mean? It, it, absolutely. And, and, and that's wonderful. And tradition is wonderful. And doing things the way they've always been done. If Within quality. Pairing. Yes. Yeah. And without cutting corners of any kind, like bless Within that. To, but then to pair that with what's possible uh, uh, in the in now and what's coming up next is is it's a cool time to be doing what you do. It, the fact that there are all of these spirits becoming mature from all over, and we're seeing new spirit producing regions doing really well in international competitions, producing products that are now available in the United States, like importers are doing an incredible job right now of bringing new flavors to, to the United States. It's distillers all over the world making new styles of spirits or riffing on other styles, right? Like even if you look at Japanese single malt scotch, it's distinct from Scotland. Oh, very much so. But it you can also see that there's a through line of tradition, but then yeah. they started doing their own thing. Uh-huh. And, like you, and that's you can really taste remarkable. the threads that tie it together, but it's definitely its own thing. And it's, you know, it's a beautiful thing. It's it's gorgeous what they're doing. You know, speaking of Scotland, you know, one of the characteristics in Scotland that the, the people really love is the smokiness, which comes from peat. Right. Um, and Scotland has very unique types of peat, um, heavy and like iodine, salty character for the most part, because surrounded by an ocean. Right. But if you come up to the Great Lakes, for instance, there's peat bogs all over the place or the Pacific Northwest. There's peat bogs in in the peat is really different than it is in Scotland. And there haven't been a ton of American peated releases out there with American peat. But I've had a bunch of samples from various distillers, warehouses, product that's in development. And the the character of peat is like the character of wood. It is a massive spectrum. And very much so. Uh, there's some distillers out of Nevada doing some very cool things with the peat that they have available to them. No kidding. I it's, it's just them. it's to your point. It's it's uh it's a different animal. Uh, it's a different flavor profile with what you get here than what you get from there. But of course, it would be because the environmental factors are completely different. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm of the mind that sort of Tennessee. Kentucky and Indiana, this very small Ohio River Valley. Yes, it has distinct political borders between different states, but the Ohio River Valley has a pretty consistent climate. Right. Um, it has a pretty consistent agriculture. In and of itself, there's there's not a ton of variation that nature is bringing to the table there. The right. Water supply is pretty similar. That's what I was going to say. It, it, you know, it runs through the the region. The only thing that really uh, the state lines are the only thing that really split it up. In and 
And state lines are both real, but they're also not real. No, they're those are man-made. Those <laughs> we've agreed were, that there's if, a line, right? If you yeah, if you were to take them away, <laughs> the whiskey would taste exactly the same. And in one of the big challenges for us at Whiskey Gypsy is to is to go, go to regions of the country and of the world that maybe people haven't tasted products from. And you mentioned one just now. Nevada is doing its own thing. The it Pacific North, Northwest is doing its own thing. The Southwest is doing its own thing. New England between, you know, the Empire Rye folks and the Pennsylvania Rye folks and all of those folks, they're doing their own thing. And these regional styles, after a century, we're seeing a reemergence of national or of regional styles. Which I love. I absolutely love that it, it, it took a minute or two, you know. Uh, prohibition was a pretty gigantic um, prohibition and war and all of the things that kind of consolidated it back to uh, one one the way that we're used to. It's great to see that breaking down. And I don't think you would have seen it uh, at the scale that we're seeing it had it not been for the the boom for it not to the consumer interest in different flavors where can we get it what's okay what's the difference between washington state and nevada oh i can totally taste the difference there like if it hadn't have been for that intrigue you wouldn't have the walls breaking down the way we have them right now yeah in in the kentucky distillers association and some of the the big players who have put the resources out there to help really grow the industry uh you know, don't receive, again, they, they receive a lot of critical, there's a lot of criticism of, right. of, of some of these organizations, but the number of people that they're bringing to whiskey mm -hmm. uh, can't be denied. And then these people say, okay, I, I get I get it. Kentucky bourbon's amazing. It's great. What else is out there, right? It goes back because to that wanderlust. That you, you wanderlust, mentioned it yeah. at the beginning of the uh, when we first started talking. The wanderlust is there. Uh, it's just now we're we're traveling within our own country to to find what other whiskeys are out there. And yeah, yeah. also and, and other countries and other countries. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I guarantee you, if people had more access to um, international whiskeys they would completely just head over heels for them as as excited as people get about oh it's from maryland if you can make maryland exciting then you can definitely make like um any anywhere not maryland exciting you know what i mean well, not, scandinavia not is one of the most in, not in, hating interesting on maryland places. either oh, no, no they're doing maryland. good work in maryland yes they um, are scandinavia mm. is coming out with incredible spirits great britain is is so creative right now places like tasmania india india drinks half of the whiskey of the entire world which is surprising i mean i, I the volume of people makes it make sense but that's not who you would think of first it, 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 exactly and, and they're creating whiskeys of quality and one of the things that's really interesting is is you mentioned that all, there's all these international whiskeys that are now coming to market one of the reasons i think that that it's that they're able to come to market has to do with COVID and the sort of liberalization of direct consumer laws. Yes. Yep. yep, yep, yep. Uh, Played a huge role, huge role in making more products available in more places because previously an importer would have to sign a distribution contract and hire feet on the street in eight different States. And maybe people in those eight States get it. And the people in the other 42 States don't get it. Right. But with direct to consumer, which should absolutely grow, and I hope to see grow. It's so good for 
bringing variety to people. And it's great for brands because now you can find the right customer, not the right zip code or the right place to land a bottle or the right place to hire right. someone you know, feet on the street through digital and finding the right folks. You know, people can, if you're interested in crazy international spirits, now you can buy them online. And, and that is such a paradigm shifting evolution of the entire industry. Uh, it's it's going to inspire, I think, a lot more small producers to make their products available to say American consumers. Well, and as you see that grow as well, the powers that be will have no choice but to sort of maybe uh, pull back on some of the restrictions that you see across state lines and across control versus non-control states and all of that. Because as the consumer finds it, if they can get it, I still think it's ridiculous that like you can't order whiskey to certain states, but I think there's only a matter of time before the people say that that it will change might not be tomorrow may not be in 10 years but eventually it's going to get to a point where you can you can get whiskey wherever you are and not have any of those um restrictions on it yeah i mean one one would hope i think there's i think for the foreseeable future there'll be a couple of states that that will kind of (laughs) oh it's not happening anytime soon but if the interest is there and the people feel as as passionately about it's it's baby moves right Mm -hmm. like like the little steps that we're making uh, will eventually turn into uh, great strides. And as long as people don't give up, as long as people keep finding ways not only around it, but, uh, and I mean legally, I mean like, you know, like uh, online sales and direct to consumer, uh, as long as those are there and if there's money behind it, it'll grow. Like it all comes back to the money and the money is there. I know, right? Let me put my public policy hat back on, like, starting <laughs> at the very beginning of the state capital. There are a lot of entrenched interests, primarily wholesalers, mm-hmm. right? The yep. distributors yep. who uh, it, it, folks would be shocked if they knew how distribution worked and that brands can sign a, a contract with a distributor and that contract doesn't have a term on it. It's basically perpetual. Uh, there are very few industries that are like that, that have perpetual contracts where you can't really get out of it. Spirits is one of them. And it's in a hundred year old, you know, law that's a little dusty right it's kind of a dusty law um it's the way it is yeah but it's still from uh, a policy point of view these are (laughs) sort of the these are some of the issues that that are being faced and and the reason why direct consumer is moving more slowly in spirits than for instance in other um controlled substances like wine Dude, me and you, I, I I feel like we could do a series together of just going through some of these topics. We could do this for the next two days, I feel, if we had enough whiskey fueling us. You know, let's let's find some time on our calendars and let's uh, get a bunch of whiskey and a big whiteboard. And we'll write down some of our favorite farmers like Robert we'll just McDonald. Beautiful mind it. Yeah, we'll beautiful mind it. And, and, and if you if you want to talk to. Farmers, folks like, you know, I'm not going to speak for anyone, but I'm greatly inspired by folks like Robert McDonald in uh, in Pennsylvania and still manufacturers across the board, but including folks like Chip Tate in Waco, Texas. Chip mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, another one of those pioneers of the craft distilling scene who now is a, uh, is a still builder, among other things. And he goes deep into still construction. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and, um, you know, there's just so many fascinating folks in this industry, unsung heroes. 
Well, I, I, I may ta- uh, tap you to come back and talk to me again, because I think uh, I, I love it when people are passionate about what they do and even more so when they're smart and know what they're talking about. So I appreciate your time so much, Ari, the good Lord. Uh, I've been sitting here sipping on this whiskey and it is insanely balanced and smooth. The whiskey gypsy, you can find it everywhere online. It is in some regional markets. Keep a lookout for it. Let your, uh, Go to your local liquor store and tell them you want this on the shelf. There's nothing that helps more than hearing that the consumer wants it where it's not at. But you can find it online. You can find it on whiskeygypsy.com. And it's absolutely fantastic, Ari. It is so smooth and balanced. And I love the the, the notes of that Canadian rye in there, I think, might be my favorite part of the whole thing. Just the that that's, there's a smoothness to the Canadian rye like a smooth to that spice and mm-hmm. the sweetness of the corn. It's just absolutely fantastic, sir. I'm glad that you enjoy it. And it's Friday. So I'm probably <laughs> going to be enjoying it more as the day progresses. I, I, I foresee a, a cigar and a, a pour another pour in my near future. It was engineered to go perfectly with a cigar. So we you can strongly totally encourage that. Uh huh. You can totally taste that <laughs> in some of the uh, the earth notes and some of the um, I don't know. I, I, I love it when you can. I love it when you get that field like I love it when you can uh, you can smell the farm in the glass. And I mean, that is a complete compliment, mm-hmm. like those earth notes that come out of that corn and that uh, underlying sweetness that you get. So just phenomenal whiskey. Uh, I thank you so much for your time today. I've kept you long. I, I We went 30 minutes over, but I was just sitting there. I know I told you I'd pull you back in, but I was thoroughly enjoying sitting under that learning tree. So thank you so much for sharing as much as you did. And please come back and see me again. I I, I, I could talk to you all day. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having us. We really, really appreciate it. We'd love to come back sometime. Most definitely. I'll, I'll don't tell me that I'll have you on once a month. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ari. It's, it, thank you so much, buddy. I hope to see you soon. Thank you so much. Well, next time at a Rolling Stone show. How about that? Oh, it'd be a lot of fun or an Eric church concert An Eric church. Well, I wasn't going to throw that. I, th- I figured that was too obvious a choice. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right, buddy. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Cheers. There you have it, everybody. That is this week's episode. I want to thank Ari for coming on to the show, for sharing some of that good whiskey gypsy liquid with us. It was a damn good conversation, and Ari, you are welcome back anytime. It was one of those conversations that, I, again, I could have kept going. Uh, I realize we ran out of time in whiskey, but that just means we're going to have to do it again. Thank you, sir, for coming on to the program. Anytime you want to talk whiskey, we are here because that was a lot of fun. And that's it for this week, guys. That was a fun episode. I appreciate Ari coming on. We've got lots more whiskey coming your way. we got a lot more bourbon showdown. Episode 93 as we make our way to episode 100. We've got more whiskey makers. We've got more entertainers. We've got a couple authors. We've got a couple sports legends. I'll go ahead and put legend in there. I think this guy's freaking pretty badass we got coming on pretty soon. In the, I'm not going to give too much away. Not going to give too much away. It's going to be fun, though. we got more surprises at every turn just keep tuning in every week every tuesday 
for more episodes of the Bourbon Showdown podcast. We're going to keep cranking them out because we love to do this, guys. So if you would, please go hit like and subscribe on all the things. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast, and we will be back next week with more whiskey, more talking, more drinking, and we'll see you guys then. So let's raise a glass and kick some ass. I'll see you guys on down that whiskey road. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.